Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to the Get Married podcast and it's episode 241. Now we are so excited because it's not just us today on the podcast. Oh no, we have you a very special treat today. We have the amazing David Norris joining us on the show, who is an occupational therapist and the founder of Memory Health Made Easy. And you're a memory health warrior, right, David, which we're going to get into when we start chatting on the podcast, but we're actually so excited to have you on the show. You know, we're going through a lot at the moment as a world, and I think we need to start looking like a little bit bigger or around, you know, not just focusing on coronavirus and not just focusing on that, but using this time, I guess, to really better our health and use the time that we have to do something really proactive for ourselves. So welcome to the show. Emma and Carla, I am so excited to be here and having this conversation today. Thank you very much for inviting me onto your show and to uh, share this with your wonderful community. So thank you very much. And yes, this is a Whilst a very scary time, mm. whilst a very confronting time mm-hmm. uh, where change is forced upon us, there is such beautiful opportunity for growth here. Mm. And I can't wait for us to touch on some of those opportunities today. So thank you very much. Thank you for oh. all that you do and thank you for having me. Well, oh, oh, thank, thank you. you. And I, I think also just before we do get started, because I know that some people are going to be like, I'm struggling. I can't focus on anything. Just so you know, guys, listening at home, like you don't need to do anything. You don't need to like, you don't need to change. You don't need to do anything when you're at home. Like if you're actually, if you just need to like sit and be, that's okay as well. But if you're like, I want to do something, then I know that you're going to get some quality action steps here from this conversation. I just wanted to put that little disclaimer in as well. This is not aimed to overwhelm guys. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's not meant to cause more stress. It's aimed to empower. (laughs) So David, let's get started. Like with the first question, why memory health? Like why did you get into it firsthand? For me, I've been practicing as an occupational therapist for over 20 years. And with my work, I, I've worked with people commonly at the end of their lives. So I get to see folk that have been impacted by severe memory loss for conditions like dementia. Mm -hmm. And after working with a number of folk for so long, there is a, a sense of gratefulness that I have this opportunity to work with people, but also a deep sense of grief and frustration mm-hmm. that for some folk that I was seeing, and one professor comes to mind, is that when he presented in my clinic, his memory had deteriorated to such a point that he was no longer that beautiful, sparkling brain of a professor anymore. Mm-hmm. The husband's um, from his wife's perspective, personality had changed. Mm. He was more dependent on help. And he, he had, when I looked, looked at his history and what led him up to being at my doorstep, so to speak, there was a whole host of things that could have been done, simple actions, simple choices that could have been made through his life that could have reduced his risk to present there in the first place. Wow, and that, yeah, and that was that. That was for me one of those moments of oh, we've got to, we've got to do something about this. We've got to get in front of this because you know a sparkling, beautiful mind and changing, and that change happens not suddenly, mm. but over years. So there's mm-hmm. declining skills over a long period of time. Now I could probably list a whole host of other confronting experiences, but mm. that really struck a chord for me and. I just thought, right, I, I need to do something about this. Yeah. I need to I need to see whether people were interested in learning what they could do to help reduce their risk for memory loss. Are you interested? Are people genuinely out there wanting to do something about it? So I 
I, about six years ago, offered it to a local community service. I said, look, I've got, I think I could do this in four weeks with you guys. And that was very much my beginning point of just talking about how we can take care of our brains to have, you know, cognitive fitness for life. And I said, look, I'll keep the room at 50. And in the end, we booked it four times over. Wow. And then it's just kept going from there. And so it seems to me that people are genuinely interested and I want to empower people and I want to make it easy, cut through the noise and just make it so practical that there are things that we can do and it can slip into our lives in a way that it's going to have a tangible impact. that's, That's, I guess, where I'm at now. Yeah, no, oh my I think um, just hearing you tell that story, David, I think the thing why people are probably so interested in this is because, you know, we've all seen it happen mm. around us. Like our grandpa and grandma, like are both experiencing this right now. And for us, that was a big, like, oh, like we want to do something now, like to yeah. help our memory. Well, and especially because, I mean, our parents are, uh, getting to their 60s we're like well we don't want you guys to get to that point either Mm. like it's been really heartbreaking to see our grandparents like the impacts they're feeling and then how that flows on to every single other person in their lives like our parents Mm. and our families we're kind of like living interstate so we don't see it as much but it's been really like whoa this is a crazy, crazy thing and it impacts so many people. So I definitely see why many people would be interested in learning everything about this and how we can not get to that point. And I mean, it's such an interesting thing, like cognitive fitness, like we're so focused on our our physical fitness as a Mm -hmm. society and a lot of it comes from, you know, like what you look like as well. But wow, like I want to keep my brain great yeah. for as many years as possible <laughs> like until i die like that's the goal right Emma, i think you touched on a very important point there and that's you both have a very close lived experience of um, witnessing memory performance change cognitive performance change in a loved one mm-hmm. and whilst some folk that might be listening today may not have that immediate okay. lived experience there is not anyone that has not witnessed or observed or been touched by mm. dementia in some capacity. And dementia, folks, is a term that is a, um, an umbrella term for conditions that are affecting our cognitive performance. And you'll, you'll hear of a term, say, Alzheimer's-type dementia, yeah. that is the most prevalent type of dementia, but there are other types as well. So uh, dementia is an umbrella term, and we can simply say severe memory loss with severe life skill loss. That means somebody's dependent on how to cook, how to shower, how to get dressed, all of those skills. Mm-hmm. That's what we're looking at. And that's when I was common and commonly still asked to help folk out and ad- advise and on con- you know, care teams and things like that. We'll want to understand what they can do best do in that situation. What we're talking about today is how can we get in front of the curve? Mm-hmm, and yeah. there is no there is no cure. There is no cure for dementia. A bit like COVID virus right now. There is no mm-hmm. cure yeah. for this thing. The only thing we have at our disposal is prevention and reducing mm-hmm. your numbers, reducing your risk as much as possible. And if we can start doing that, it is a numbers game. You yeah. know, you start to get in front of this. And it is if you can start with one thing and layer it on, it just makes that so much easier. Mm-hmm. Cognitive fitness is is a, a term that sort of strikes, I think, a really nice chord because it speaks to that. I want to stay sharp. I want yes. to. I want to have my A game all mm-hmm. my life, and I want that moment of when my day comes to be compressed in as much as short a time as possible. But I'm going to live my A game as much as possible. So how can we yeah. do that? That's so, so good. And I, you know, the yeah. word, when you, when you think of the word fitness, like you can really picture action being taken. And I think that is why this term like cognitive fitness, it, it is kind of, um, what is the, what's the word I'm trying to think of? But like, I feel drawn to that because it makes me think I have a little bit of, I feel empowered hearing that I'm like, Oh, I can do stuff. It's like, help. gives you a sense of control. Yeah. Okay. And like, I'm like, okay, I'm ready to do all these things. I've got my <laughs> notepad, like I'm doing this. <laughs> yeah. And I think, um, you know, David and, there's no really right or wrong time to begin with this, is there? It's like if you're listening to this, now is the time. 
your beautiful, gorgeous brain is just <laughs> hungering for the opportunities that you're going to give it at any stage of life. Wow. There's a wonderful study some years ago that. that looked at the um, the hippocampus. The hippocampus is this part of the brain which has a real role in memory performance mm-hmm. and emotional regulation, but let's talk about memory performance. And they had a look at brains across the lifespan after these people had passed away. So they had the opportunity to look at these brains and even in people in their ninth decade, so in their 90s, still had these gorgeous baby neurons growing wow. in their brain. <laughs> so I think it's, we could take that as a point and a really emphasising point that at no stage does your brain stop wanting, not wanting to have brain builders. It does. Wow. We're just trying to make sure that the brain demolishers don't turn up. We want more brain builders as much as possible. And so what are the conditions that we need to create to keep that going across the lifespan? And as we start to learn more about brain, our brains and changes and our exposures to certain things across life, we find, we find that things are either pro or negative mm. for supporting our cognitive fitness across the lifespan. We're really in a fortunate space that we're learning so much more than what we used to, but we need to continually question, what can I do on a daily basis to encourage that? And I would love, you know, my mission as, a, I guess, a memory health warrior, as you pointed out, is to see that people not only level up for themselves, but also for their family and community. Yeah. So, you know, folk, for, for whatever you're listening to today, and if there's a big aha I would encourage you to share that moment with somebody else because mm-hmm. then you're going to create the seeds for this stuff. Oh, I love this so much. And I'm I'm kind of intrigued. Like I have so many places I want to go right now and I'm like, brain, rein it in, like choose one road. <laughs> um, so like you said, there's things that we're doing that are pro and also negative. And I also, I want to touch on also there's the brain builders and the brain demolishers. So maybe we can talk about that first. Like what, what do you mean by brain demolishers? Cause I'm like, am I doing any of those things? <laughs> uh oh. So I, I, I'll, I'll come that at that by answering or answering this question by the journey of what we understand is contributing to, let's say Alzheimer's type dementia. Mm-hmm. With Alzheimer's type dementia, the theory of of Alzheimer's type dementia, and yes, it is still a theory because we're still learning a lot more, but what what appears to be the current sway of thought is that when right now as a 40-something-year-old bloke, I've got my brain cells, my neurons communicating with each other. They don't actually touch. There's a gap between them. And they send little chemical messengers across that gap to the other one to get them excited to carry another message to another one, another one, another one, and so on. Wow. And so they communicate through these chemical messengers. Now, in that gap, there is a buildup of uh, amyloid beta. And then this is a protein that um, is appears to be a waste product, but it also has other roles. And I'm not going to complicate our journey and our story today about all the other roles. But think about this, that over time it builds up. Now we get our brain cleaners to come through and we get brain cleaners turning up and they're called our glial cells. These guys come through much like a, a, um, a cleaner of a bathroom, a janitor or a green groundskeeper. They'll clean up that gap. They'll trim things back. They'll support and nurture. They'll help the healing. They'll do all the jobs around it. And this all appears to happen when we go to sleep at night time. Ah. So there's a lot of work that happens when we're sleeping. Now, if we don't clean up that gap and there's more of these amyloid betas floating in that gap, at some point there is too much and it creates a tipping point where it changes, it binds to that cell, the receptor, and it changes the nature of that behaviour and all of a sudden it kicks off like a waterfall and it creates it more in other cells and other cells and other cells and that's why we see neurodegeneration, this sort of trickling cascade of brain change caused by this build-up of amyloid beta. So the question is, why does this thing build up? Well, mm. What can we do to reduce building up? Now, what medication has done um, that has targeted these build-up has only targeted one to three mechanisms that contribute to the build-up of amyloid beta why that's why drugs don't work 
because there are a lot, lot more. The work of, say, Dr. Dale Bredesen, a neuro, uh, neurologist, a scientist neurologist in the US, has mapped out over 80 different mechanisms of contributing to the buildup of amyloid beta. Now, what he's saying is that we need to be reducing that buildup and we need to be targeting not all 80, but we need to be targeting a good 50% in order to stop that change. Okay. In order to make that prevent it from happening. Now, he represents a real avant-garde, a real advanced position in thinking around what we can do. But when we distill what he's teaching and how do we make a very scientific view applicable to us, it just comes down to lifestyle factors, the things that are in our control. The things that aren't in our control are, and the biggest risk factor for experiencing brain change for conditions like dementia is age. There is an associated risk as, as we get older that our risk increases. Now, I just want to underline the point associated. It's not causative. Oh, it's a strong association, okay. mm-hmm. meaning that there it is a variable that when we are older, we are likely to see the presence of dementia. Mm-hmm. What we know, though, is that dementia is a disease that starts young. Wow. It can start in our 30s and 40s. And that is the amyloid beta buildup, the neurodegeneration changes, the brain demolishes turning up, meaning that there's a change in the behavior of the cells, that they're retracting away from each other and not having good communication, and it's impairing the performance of others around it. So wow. I oh my guess, God. yeah, we need to then think about what we can do from a lifestyle factor. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Because, like, like what's happening at age 30 and 40? Why is then? Because maybe no one's sleeping. (laughs) Well, you know, we've got, obviously, we could start to think about then our environmental exposures, our stress exposures, our Mm. poor sleep hygiene, our changes in our behaviours. And and I will point out, though, that we are in a really wonderful time right now. And I say that with a, a, a real sincerity because right now in our history of human evolution, there are more people over the age of 65 years of age than ever before. Mm-hmm. In the, the whole entire history of the human race, we are seeing more people aged over 65 than ever before. So mm-hmm. this is like new frontiers for us still. So we're learning a lot about mm-hmm. how our bodies changes, uh, how our bodies and brain changes. And I think one of the big things that people ask is, well, mum, dad had it, grandparents had it, I'm going to get it. And that becomes a question about maybe our genetics and or, or hinting at the role of our genes, our DNA, our makeup that we inherit from mum, dad, grandparents in our family tree. And yes, there is some, there are risk factors that increase our risk for mm-hmm. experiencing dementia. But even those people that have the highest Um, risk for experiencing dementia in their lifespan so those people that inherit code from mum and dad for increased risk of dementia with lifestyle changes they can still reduce their risk so even with genes they may load the gun but they don't pull the trigger it's the choices we make oh this is so amazing Okay. okay choices let's get into this because i think this is now everyone's got a really big reason why why we're going to be wanting to action these things. Yeah, because we want to stay sharp. Yeah, I want to stay sharp. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) and I like that word. I've never used that word like that before, but, yeah, I want to stay sharp. I want to stay sharp. I want to be my A game. (laughs) Yeah, how do we Um, do it, David? Well, I want to also make a point before we go there, And, and and the thing that really drew me to have this conversation with you guys today is that I acknowledge that your audience is predominantly women. Yes. yes. And I, I want to speak to that person right now, that, that lady that's listening, and be mindful that women are more affected with their experience of dementia than men. It is a ratio of about two to one when we factor wow. it in. Whoa. So more women than men are impacted by uh, dementia. And there's some wonderful work from uh, a Dr. Lisa Moscone out of the U.S., who started to explore why that is the mm. case. And you asked the point about why things were showing up. And it's really important when we have these conversations that we are not drawing a causative bow 
like I'm saying this is causing something Mm -hmm. because cause is such a hard one to prove scientifically. So what we can talk about is an association Mm. and that is that when one thing is present, you are increasing your risk or decreasing your risk. Okay, yeah. And for women, when we think about their occupational exposures, what they do in their family life, their common roles that they may perform in their home, the other element that Dr. Moscone points out is that women with their chromosomes of XX also inherit thousand different functions in their body compared to men yes they're predominantly associated with the reproductive system but it's also playing out in their brain and one thing that's observed that she's observed through um, this particular scanning technique was that women pre-menopause and post-menopause there is a change in how their brains light up there is a change in the neuroprotective function of their brains and so when she's making the case, she's saying that for women, we need to be especially vigilant to making mm-hmm. choices in our lifestyles to help offset the changes that's happening from a physiological perspective of being a woman. And so she really champions the cause to say women need to be their memory health warriors. Yeah. And they need to be talking about this and taking some actions because they are at increased risk. So, guys, our conversation, what I want to launch into, and thank you for the permission to do so, is just to talk about things that can dial down the button, you know, yeah. take, take control of that volume dial and turn it right down, yes. reduce your risk. I love this so much. So, and, yeah, you were so right. Our audience, uh, so many women, I'm pretty sure, like, but hi, any men as well. I'm pretty sure a majority is women listening. That's all the messages that we get. That's all the feedback that we get is from women. And I think that they are going to be sitting on the edges of their seat right now. Yeah. Like, what can we do? Yeah. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm saying am. that too. <laughs> Got my notepad. <laughs> Well, I think first up, one thing that we can start to prioritise or and, 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 and before we go any further, for the folk that are just listening with bated breath about what we're going to go through, <laughs> I want to put this take-home message up front. Just take one thing, yes. one thing out of everything that I speak I about because that. it feels like there's a kitchen sink that you've got to do, you've got to do, you've got to mm-hmm. do, and I don't want you to do that. I want mm-hmm. you to just take one thing away and... Breathe it, live it, test it, apply it, commit to it, commit mm-hmm. to it for a, a period of time, but just take one. Okay. Mm. That's my, I'm going to ask you to promise me that. Please promise me that, that you guys do this because we promise if we try and do too much. Yeah. Thank you. Done. Right. Good. But we agree. Right. One thing at a time. Yeah. One step. One step. step. And yeah. therefore, it releases all overwhelm and we just hold on to that empowered feeling of like, yeah, I can do this one thing. All right. Okay. Well, I think one one place to start, one place that has got a wonderful amount of research behind it now is food, mm. choosing food, food for our brain health. Now, people would go, mm, why would I do that? I'm just feeding my body. I'm feeding, isn't it, you know, going to do the same things? Well, your brain is going to be the one that's most vulnerable to the deprivation of nutrients. There's a wonderful um, body of work by Dr. Bruce Ames out of the US, and he speaks about the nutrient triage theory. I'll break it down like this. In case of emergency, when it's an emergency situation, we'll use the resources that we have to save life. When it comes to long life cognitive fitness, your brain is going to be a poor cousin to keeping the heartbeat, to maintaining essential mm-hmm. functions of the body. And it can take a series of hits, but at some point, if we've not got the right nutrients in our body, things are going to get agitated and move out of that comfort zone of good operation. It's like, you know, to borrow the the bad analogy, and it is a bad analogy, guys, because our brains are much more than a computer. But if our computer is not working with the right hardware and it's not having a a TLC of a a scan disk or virus check and all those things that you might do or power off and power on regularly, it's going to be a little bit glitchy. Well, Mm -hmm. just amplify that over time. And we can think about the impact of nutrients the same way. So what we can do very simply is just to think about choosing whole foods. Whole foods are things that are either falling from a tree or from the paddock. Mm 
They are going to be as Mother Nature designed them, and we have been evolving with Mother Nature for such a long time that we are got the, we've got the organisms in our tummy to help us break it down to understand it. Processed food, foods that have been engineered to look like a pink, blue, something in a packet mm-hmm. is just not how things are designed. Yeah. And to layer the next step into thinking about our food is to fit, choose food that has got high nutrient density, mm-hmm. meaning that it's packed full of information to help our bodies and brains and our tummy biome perform as much as possible. And as we get older, as we age through life, our body's ability to leverage the information in food gets less. Mm -hmm. And so this is most important for people that are, say, 50s, 60s, 70s and older in thinking about how we're leveraging food with a lot of density because our tummy acids aren't as strong we might have had some insults to our tummy where our gut flora has been a little bit more impacted than before. And so we need to be thinking about how we can leverage food as much as possible. So that's where I would think would be a wonderful place to start. I love love that so much. much. And I really, I just want to like say how much I love how you describe the nutrient density because I think we, some people and some of us can get confused when we, when we see that and, and when we're stuck in that old world of thinking calorie in versus calorie out, we can get really afraid of that food. And I know like we used to think like that seven years ago, we were like, oh my God, like, no, it must be only this many calories. Um, and then we started to learn about the brain and why we need the good fats and why we need actually more. And I love how you put it there, like that it's the information that we're taking in. Like that just made so much sense. And it's just so nice, I think, to talk about food and I guess lifestyle and will I use the word diet? Yes, and diet as you know like the goal to maintain our brain health not our physical looks and appearance Mm. I mean to I mean a lot of people when they do change their lifestyle or their diet they will cop a lot of flack from other people and why aren't you eating that bread why aren't you eating that processed food that pasta or that pizza anymore and now people can say well I just want to stay sharp until (laughs) like in my 90s and I feel like people will be like oh well, that makes a lot of sense, right? Yeah. Like that's why I'm eating these foods. Well, I, th- I think there's the long payoff. That's the long payoff, isn't it? Mm. You know, I want to stay sharp for life. But what's the immediate payoff? The mm. immediate payoff True. is that you've got energy. Yes. You've got less brain fog. Yeah. Yes. You've got, you're actually in, you actually can be a little bit more stable in your mood. Wow. Food has a wonderful tool <laughs> for influencing our gut bacteria. And our gut bacteria, particularly a couple of types of gut bacteria, have been shown to directly communicate with our brain. And some of the work from um, Professor Dynan out of Ireland um, coined the term psychobiotics. And these are bugs that influence our mood and cognitive performance. These are bugs that have a relationship through the metabolites that they uh, excrete through to the food that they break down through the way that they communicate with our immune system and our nervous system influences the performance in our brain. So even, you know, four to five days on the standard Aussie diet or the standard American diet, which we'll call the SAD diet, you know, high fats, high carb type diet, has been shown in mice to change the, the density in their hippocampus meaning that it gets smaller and increases the activity in the amygdala, which is the emotional sort of uh, regulation driver centre. And therefore, they are increasingly more at risk for anxiety and demonstrate those behaviours. And the loop gets compounded. So dietary change. Now, I will put a a caveat there. We are talking about mice, but we can take some (laughs) observation about this, about humans, and that that is a similar observation. The team of... um, Professor Felix Jacket down there at um, Food and Mood Centre do a lot of work in this space. Cool. And this is showing a very strong link about what we eat influences our mood. And there's a lot of work coming out now showing the relationship between, you know, food with nutrient-rich information, whole foods, in its fight and assisting us with experiences of depression, anxiety, and even schizophrenia. 
Wow. That is so amazing and really exciting because I think, you know, we can all like, we can all know like what is one thing we do every day if we eat, which means there's a lot of power to those choices that we're making of the things we're picking up and putting in our mouths. Is there like any specific foods that are like really, really good for the brain or is it just like, you know, just like keep it simple, whole foods? Uh, I, I, well, I will put it out there, guys, that keep it whole foods because just choose food, choose food that are whole yeah. foods and yeah. eat diversely yeah. eat, eat across the spectrum. Okay. And another way you could think about it is eat across the colours. Yeah. Um, I, I play this wonderful game with my children. We've got on our fridge about eating the rainbow. Have we eaten the rainbow today? Hmm. You know, was it a white, green, red, orange, purple? Mm-hmm. Have we eaten some of the rainbow? Those phytonutrients are wonderful little um, tools to help our tummy bugs, but also assist us with our cognitive performance as well. That's a I great place that. to start. Beautiful. You know, yes. we could dive dive into specific foods, but I think we get lost a yeah, little I bit agree. about oh, I should eat. I, I, I should eat my broccoli. I should eat my avocado. Yeah, I haven't yeah. had my kale. I need my broccoli sprouts. I need yeah. this. Yeah. I haven't, oh, my gosh, I haven't got muscles. I've got to go and get some muscles. And all of a sudden we get lost. In <laughs> Yum. I love, we have muscles. We, have, I love muscles. See, that's the good thing. Like whole food can be so bloody delicious and oh, fun yes. and beautiful. It's like this is an exciting thing to, if you haven't introduced it to your life yet, to introduce to life. Mm. Yeah, you could play that game, almost like a roulette wheel of what am I going to eat today? Yeah. What's in the shopping list this week? Yeah. And let's explore that. And what a wonderful way to go about uh, that journey of discovering food that your palate may not have tasted or you might have had an aversion. And this is another thing that I've observed too in my patients is that when they start making choices about whole foods, they start to discover new relationships with food that they've mm. not had before. And they describe a sense of their palate change, their sensitivity mm. to taste and exploring and how food tastes yummy. Yeah. Know, and going through that journey. So it's exciting, yeah. but sometimes we just need to create the experiences for that. Some folk go, oh, Dave, I don't have time. That's when you can get in there and the whole how do we create nutrient-dense smoothies and all those type of little yeah. things that mm. can help. But they then themselves raise some questions about are we truly leveraging food as much as possible because there's a lot of work around sitting and experiencing and being aware and slowing down and communicating, all of those things that are part of our digestive experience. Wow. Oh, my gosh, I love this so much. I'm so excited to, like, get more excited about food. (laughs) I'm so excited to hear what else we can do as well. Okay, yes. Next. Next. (laughs) All right, next. Let's talk about um, the power of exercise. What's good for the heart? What's good for the heart is going to be good for the brain. It's been a bit of a, a, Mm. um, a statement for a little while that's rolled around. And recently they observed the role of different exercise types on cognitive performance. And we'll go back to the hippocampus again, this lovely little organ that sits in our brain responsible or being involved in memory and they showed that with um aerobic activity so that's guys when we're getting our heart rate up to a point we're having difficulties breathing but we can still maintain a conversation so if i'm having a conversation i'm on a treadmill or i'm doing something and i'm able to talk that's that sort of experience of breathlessness and for you that if you're going to do this you want to be getting up to around that six to Six out of ten level of effort, mm-hmm, you know. Mm-hmm. You're not taxing too much of the bank account, but you're sort of in that sort of zone that you can sustain for a long period of time. What they observed is that this was a great one for growing and stimulating the growth of baby neurons. It, it, it was like wow. fertilizer on the garden bed to help stimulate growth. It doesn't make us smarter. It wasn't associated with any cognitive skill improvement but it was a primer for the brain. Think of it like gardening. We've just put on some beautiful nutrients over the garden. We've given it a lot of love and it can thrive now. Let's give it some opportunities to thrive. So choosing to do a regular daily exercise with aerobic levels of intensity are going to be really cool. Now, the thing that really excites me in this space is about how we can leverage exercise further 
you know, if we're challenging, if we're challenging our heart rate and we're getting all these gorgeous nutrients flowing through our body and, we, and our brain, and we've got this change in the fertilizer, so to speak, what can we do to improve it? And so I think about then how can we link cognitive challenges, things that are novel, new and stimulating mm. at the same time oh. to really amplify the impact of exercise. And the window appears to be around about that 30 minutes to an hour after exercise that, you know, just get in there. And that's what I do with most of my patients nowadays is that we'll start to link exercise with a cognitive challenge within that window of time. Cool. So like, so let me get that straight. So like you do the exercise and then after the exercise, then you do like a brain cognitive exercise. I do, yeah, that's one way. Or you can actually design exercise to include Around some that. of those challenges oh, as yeah. well. Yeah, so that's what I was so just let, thinking about. I was like, so yeah. like it's like so, you know, learning something new while you're exercising. Well, Carla, you do some wonderful work with folk with with yoga. So yeah. you know that raising the heart rate when you get that you know that sense of pranayama really fired up, and you want to get that heart rate moving, and then drop people into some complexity or novelty mm, yeah. with then. Now, the key is when we want to get our brain to change, and this is where we sort of get into under the hood about neuroscience, is that when we want to leverage neuroplasticity, we also need to create some other conditions around novelty, so newness. Things need to be new, relatively new. If we maintain the same thing that's new for a period of time, it's not going to be new anymore. And it loses that sort of secret source, that magic, that little bit of spark to help create the brain builders to turn up. So this is what we're talking about when, um, when we're looking at creating opportunities and leverage. These are some of the, the, the ingredients that we start to sprinkle in activities to help leverage them more so to encourage the brain builders to turn up. But if we just to fall back to a, one thing here, guys, would be raise your heart rate. And then if you get excited, think about doing something stimulating challenge the brain afterwards and i encourage novelty something new cool i love this this so much it makes me so excited because i mean uh, with yoga and like when you lead like this morning i did an epic yoga class carla led it in my lounge room and i didn't know what was coming next and it was all new. It was all magic. And I'm like, I worked on my brain. Good yeah. on me. And you do feel that when you are doing a class and there's a new move or there's something new and you're like, wait, what? That's not what I expected. Yeah. And then you're like trying to follow it. Yeah. And it's like, it feels like an adventure. And I guess like that's why in Mary Body we do, we introduce a new class with a new move every week. Like we just didn't know how much we were working the brain. We just thought it was to keep people interested and like (laughs) excited. But yes, it also works your brain. (laughs) Yeah. And I, um, that beautiful beginner mind is such a wonderful space, isn't it? It's challenging. If we break it down, it's challenging. Mm -hmm. There's newness. There's a sense of reward when you get it. Yeah. You're doing it frequently. There's an element of duration guess what we've just ticked? We've just ticked all the boxes for neuroplasticity. Wow. Oh, my gosh. That's so, so exciting. Yeah. So when we think about, you know, I had a, I had a wonderful experience some years back about I, I love surfing. I love being on the water. Um, that's my happy place, being on the water. And I don't live near waves as frequently and I don't get there as frequently as I used to now that I have a young family and, and other commitments in life. So a friend of mine on a, a recent, or when I say recent, several years ago, he brought along a little surf trip, a stand-up paddleboard. I'd never done it before. Mm. And I got onto the stand-up paddleboard and I was wobbly. I didn't have the coordination. I was trying to surf it like a surfboard and it wasn't right. And I had this beautiful beginner mind and I was in heaven. It was so much fun yeah. just to be challenged and engaged and of course, I've now gone out and grabbed a stand-up paddleboard and I love exploring new waterways and cool. seeing what I can find and all that sort of stuff. So there is so much when you listen for it and seek those opportunities, you're putting things into the brain bank account. I guess you could call this number three. Yeah. And when we're going through a bit of a list here and brain bank account is important because this is coming back to an observation around a group of nuns that happened several years ago through the 90s and 2000. A gentleman followed a group of nuns who gave their brain to science. 
after they passed away. Now, the good thing about this particular study was you had a group of women, say same sex, who had similar behaviours, similar daily routines, and so they, for a lot of the variables that we get caught up with a lot of research, were excluded. They were controlled for already. So we've got a very similar group of people doing similar things. Now, for a good portion of these women's brains, they didn't have dementia. They had beautiful skills throughout their life. And when they looked under the hood, when they passed away, they looked at their brains and said, yep, beautiful, gorgeous, lovely brain. Then there was another group of women that observed cognitive changes, they observed functional changes, they observed their ability to be more reliant on others, and yes, there was a diagnosis of dementia. Mm. When they looked at their brains on passing away, of course, this brain presents like somebody living with dementia Mm -hmm. and what we would typically expect. And then there was a group of women that were thriving through life, that had all the skills and when they looked at their brains on passing, they couldn't believe what they saw. They looked at these brains and these brains presented like somebody living with Alzheimer's type dementia or dementia. There was holes, there was shrinkage, there was different colours in the grey matter. There was just a lot of change to this brain. And they thought, how can this be? This person was independent. They were thriving through their life. How, how could this be? And this is where the theory of cognitive reserve came from. And it comes to, uh, I think her name was Sister Mary. Sister Mary was a university lecturer. She retired at the age of 80 and she lived into her 90s. Uh, She confronted her GP at one point and said, you're keeping me away from God. And he said, no, it's not me, Sister Mary. It's your will and it's your behaviours that are keeping you away from God. And she had one of those brains that looked like somebody living with dementia. And what they observed with these women throughout their lifespan was a continual investment in lifelong learning, this continual Mm. adding into the brain bank account and this mindset of growth, this growth mindset seemed to be sort of the flavours of this community of women who had resilient brains despite what life and despite what the physiology was happening inside their brain. Despite what those network damages were happening, they had invested in their brain bank account, so to speak, throughout their lifespan, that it was resilient to these changes. Wow. And so, guys, what we do on a daily basis by investing in new learning and a commitment to turning up for ourselves is, in a, in a sense, putting into the brain bank account. Mm. Amazing. So learning something new. So things like I, I was just thinking, I was like, oh, what things do I learn? And I was like, oh, like I learned to cross stitch the other day and I was, I did a few guitar lessons and that was so awfully hard. And I was like, maybe I should actually keep doing that because I found it so hard like that. I'm getting the brain going. And David, does it need to be like, you know, you're learning a new skill, like where you're using like maybe your hands and learning that way or is it like I could read a book and I'm learning something new like a new idea Mm, good question yeah so there's a new idea component but what appears to really help our brain's performance is when we create rich learning experiences rich learning experiences are going to hit quite a number of different sensory modalities it's going to challenge quite a number of processing speeds so visual and auditory processing Mm -hmm. it's going to challenge our working memory now when we think about reading yes there is an auditory i guess to a part Mm. processing speed and visual that is a working memory but we're not moving we're not touching we're not engaging we're not manipulating tools we're not changing environments we're not changing joint positions in space so we're not you know changing our relationship to the ground to sitting to standing or anything like that so we're not layering up a rich experience and i I would think if we're going to hit the pinata so to speak of cognitive fitness (laughs) we're going to whack it as many times (laughs) Let's 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 pull out a wand with like five sticks at once and yeah. whack it, and then you're going to get a good result. Yes. Now, folk, if you just want to continue to do that, that's okay. But I think this is a, this I think touches on maybe the experience of folk that ask me, "Hey, Dave, I do Sudoku, or I do crosswords, and is that will that help me stop?" Well, it's going to help you get better at that skill. It won't help you have diverse skills. Yeah. It won't help you have it'll have a narrow effect. 
a narrow effect that'll be contained to that particular activity. And that's perhaps the real issue with brain training is that it targets a narrow or has a narrow effect. It targets and builds on the skills of that particular exercise. What we need to be doing is bringing those skills, those exercise and applying it in real world, putting into Mm. play, putting into motion. You know, for people that follow any sort of code of sport, let's say, you know, football or, you know, maybe given your beautiful audiences all across the world, we could take uh, soccer or football as an example. Mm -hmm. If you're going to play for Real Madrid, and all you did was go to the gym, are you going to play for Real Madrid? No. So if we're going to get the real world benefits, we've got to apply the stuff in real world context and, cool. and continue to do that. And that's, you know, one thing I do with my clients is that we might have a 90-day or 180-day target of a project, a new learning experience, and that gives people enough time to dig their their hands, their brain, their body, their their environment into these things where they're learning and then they can make the next step change in their skill set by continuing it on or they pivot to do something else. Mm. And the starting place for, for this is a sense of interest mm. or inquiry or enthusiasm or pleasure or one of those wonderful, gorgeous emotions that can help connect me like super glue to something that is new for me yeah oh i love this this is so exciting it's like giving us all permission to like go do our things we want to do oh and what a wonderful (laughs) time to do it we're we're all in our homes we're all in this space together what about this is one of the I was yeah, going to say, what sorry, if no, what if, <laughs> no, I think I interrupted. I was going to say, what if someone doesn't know what to do? What should they, like, is, yeah. do you have like a three ideas for what people could like, learn? Like, like an, like an activity? Mm. Yeah. Mm. Maybe like for right now as well. So I guess it has to be kind of indoors since we're all spending a bit more time indoors. Yeah. Well, I think you could, um, you could certainly, dial into your yoga moves that yes. would be one place that you could start to t- turn up for yourself as a easy no equipment need yeah and yeah get, on I love the, that. get into it um experience there are other folk that are doing similar type things you know if you searched functional movement at the yeah. moment there's yeah. an explosion of people looking at that and that yeah. ties in with a lot of um um, new learning motor patterns mm. but that's beautiful yoga in itself when yeah. you're yeah. being you know, exposed to transitions and things like that. Yes. Um, I've been thinking about things that don't need equipment that you could start to do. It might be just simple things like drawing. There's so many little drawing classes that you could get into and follow a master on understanding how to sketch. You know, one of the most challenging things you could do is try and sketch a hand. It's such a difficult, awkward thing from a depth perception, but that can be just a pen and a paper. Yeah, I love that. I saw a little tutorial on how to draw Winnie the Pooh on Instagram and I I really wanted to do it. I was like, I want to draw Winnie. (laughs) Oh, my gosh, it's so true. It just made me excited because it showed me the steps and I was like, oh, it doesn't actually, I could do that. It's so exciting, I guess, because we are living in this day and age where we can easily access the tools we need to do something like that. Oh, I want to learn to draw. Okay, Google, learn to draw. And there's about a bazillion choices Mm. to follow along. and free as well on YouTube. So it's all there. We're just waiting for us to get curious. Food, cooking, explore food. This could be just the starting point of getting into, you know, five recipes to change my brain. Oh, my God. I love this. That ticks off two things as well. So you've got the number one action step and then we've got the number three, the the bank account that we're building up, learning new things, new techniques of cooking, like poaching an egg. Like that's something I want to learn. Yeah, and like like get it expert. Like properly poaching. Oh, my gosh. I'm so excited about this because I feel as well, not only we're working on our brain health, but they also enrich life. I mean, mm. to cook new recipes, to make beautiful food, we'll make right now amazing. Yeah. You get to eat yeah. it and you get to enjoy the process and be proud of something. I mean, I dug for pippies yesterday on the beach and I caught them and then we cooked them. <laughs> it That's was amazing. Cool. <laughs> like I was digging in the sand. 
fan. It was like the best thing ever. I was like, now this is how you do food. This is how you do so many oh. things and good for your brain. And I was so excited. Every time I got a pippy, I was like, oh. it was like this little like, oh. Is it, is it is it the time that we say to ourselves, um, oh, you know, I can't even grow mint. I'm never going to be a gardener. Is it time that we start touching the soil and the plants yes. and understand what we can do? And then all of a sudden this is, you know, I'm going to enjoy a lovely salad that I've made in, you know, three, four weeks time with my lettuces that I've grown. And I'm yes. going to learn what I can do around cultivating a small garden bed, be it on my porch or be it yeah. in my backyard. I love so, this. So there are so many things here for us. And, guys, I, I, I would encourage people just to spend a paused moment to feel what resonates with you. And resonates mm, might be interest that. or passion and people I have had, you know, folk will say, Dave, I'm just not passionate about stuff. Mm. I'm not passionate about yeah. that. So just listen to inquiry mm-hmm. or that hook that happens from the mind to go, oh, what's that about? Mm. That might be all it is and follow that. And that could be a great place to start. One, I, I think, you know, the other places to take this conversation today is we could talk about sleep. Sleep is one of yeah, the I'd love to go there. tools that we can put in place to really support our cognitive fitness. Wow. And right now there's nothing going to be more important. And I would say as food and movement for managing and assisting with our stress and our sense of anxiety and a sense with change and all the things that are rolling around us. So sleep is going to be one of those things that are important for, as I mentioned before, in, in helping our brain uh, do its hygiene Check up. Believe it or not, we've only discovered in the last several years the um, lymph system for the brain, which there is actually a shrinkage of the brain that happens during the night only in certain phases of sleep where it is pumped and flushed, so to speak, with fluid, with cerebral spinal fluid. So when we are not getting deep, nourishing sleep, we are depriving our bodies and our brains for that opportunity to get that nourishing cleanup. So sleep is really important when it comes to our cognitive fitness for life. It also helps us perform on a daily basis. It helps us to be more emotionally resilient. Mm -hmm. It helps us be performing at our best to make good decisions Mm -hmm. on a daily basis. So when we are uh, sleep-deprived, we are going to make decisions that not normally are within our wheelhouse or not in our A-game space, not in our zone, not in our flow. We navigate or default to choices that may be putting ourselves more at risk. We'll go for the sugar, we'll go for the Mm. drinks, we'll go for the alcohol, we'll go for the substance, we'll do those things that are, I just need that right now, you know, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and we'll make that choice and that choice Mm. Such a slippery slope when we don't have sleep. That is so oh my gosh. So what is like a typical good night's sleep? Oh, if we could aim for about seven to eight hours of sleep yeah. mm-hmm. where we go through um, some beautiful uh, deep sleep cycles. So our brain will go through these oscillating sleep cycles. And guys, if you can't see me, I'm waving my hand like a, like, <laughs> like um, Elsa with a magic wand, you know. I'm, I'm, Cinderella with a wand, I'm casting it across the screen in a sort of circular, uh, like an S snake fashion. We go up and down in these sleep cycles and that represents the different sort of um, frequencies of um, sleep states. And when we go down in those deep sleep cycles, that is when our brain is being flashed out. That's the observation of when that uh, brain lymphatic system is kicking in and causing that sort of flushing. We don't know the true wide benefits of what's happening we're observing it and they've observed what happens as a result of that now there's likely many other things because the brain is such a a protected beautiful thing that we just can't get too close to it in real life so we're doing a lot of things through scans or obviously when people pass away so it makes it much harder for us to observe um 
So if we're going to be sleep ninjas, if we're going to be warriors for our sleep and protect that as much as possible, the things that we can start to do is just reduce caffeine, no caffeine after midday. Caffeine has a a long-acting um, time span in our body, and it will be active for 12 hours Whoa. after we've ingested it. So midday, wow. certainly wow. no no caffeine after midday. Is that it funny that I, ju- I just checked the time because I was like, how long do I have? <laughs> we have 20 minutes. 20 minutes. <laughs> Get the espresso. I, I definitely have coffee after midday. Like I usually do like 2 p.m., but I could easily. Yeah, I'll bring it back to 12. What I can see this happening. Emma, get out of my way. I've got to get that coffee. <laughs> I feel like 2 p.m. is close to midday. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll have. Now, the question is, you know, are we getting good sleep? Hey, you know, are we getting that nourishing sleep? And how do I know? Yeah. Um, one thing yeah, is your partner could question. probably say that you're quite restless. That could be one really subjective observation. And for those folks that don't have partners, then you've got a whole world of different apps out there that can give you some data about what your sleep movements mm-hmm. and giving you some indicator about your sleep performance. Um, sleep apnea is probably one of the big things to be mindful of, which mm. is the the obstruction of our airways, partial obstruction of our airways as we sleep. Snoring is strongly associated with sleep apnea and there is a change in our oxygen levels of our blood. It is highly associated with increasing our risk for cardiac disease as well as increasing our risk for cognitive performance changes. Wow, that is so So sleep apnea is one to seriously take very, 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 very focus on and take some action about it, investigate it, get some input start to capture the data around it on what you're doing at a personal level. Mm-hmm. Be your own little investigator and yeah. then seek help around talking to your GP and going further down that pathway. And David, the before thing- we did interrupt oh, you, ahead. was there, <laughs> interrupt you again, was there more things that we can do to make sure that we do get that good sleep because um, we got distracted by coffee? Yeah, yeah. So sleep apnea, m- monitor that one. Yeah. Um, when we think about sleep, um, we can think about maintaining a cooler environment. A cooler Mm. environment in our bedroom rather than a warmer one will help us have a more nourishing, deeper sleep. Mm. Our routine before beds, you know, before going to sleep is that we might power down our devices an hour beforehand, Mm -hmm. two hours beforehand, reducing our blue light exposures is one tip, Um, dimming the house or the unit down to the lighting that is helping us navigate around mm. safely around our unit or space but not that it's blazing in our eyeballs that it's still stimulating yeah. us and kicking off that awake cycle yes. what we're trying to do is trick the physiology of our body to turn up into you know thinking about that is the sun has set we are now moving into a more quiet space our meals over night time 2 hours before bed not mm-hmm. snacking up till bedtime yeah uh, then thinking about our routine into bed, whether you are somebody that takes a warm bath or a shower before bed, that's my routine. It works mm-hmm. well by elevating our core temperature and then bringing it down through a cool mm. environment. It helps us get into a sleep. Um, thinking about our role of, you know, our um, yin yoga. Yeah, powerful tool to help get us into our body. Into totally, our body. it makes me so sleepy. Yeah, it does. It's gorgeous, mm-hmm. and and it's such a wonderful tonic right now through the social media exposures. And I would say, yes. guys, that you know, thinking about our social media exposures through this time, about when you get in and when you get out, we could probably say that we've been Netflixing up to our eyeballs or thumbing through Facebook or whatever social mm-hmm. media of your choice is. But at some point we, we come out of those moments and we feel frazzled, we feel yeah. amped, we feel, what have I done? I mm-hmm. feel guilt. I feel there are all sorts of things yeah. that pop up and none of them are particularly positive. Yeah. True. So our exposures to some of this is maybe what am I here for? What am I doing? And then limiting that time that you're exposing yourself up to, up to bedtime. Uh, you could try 
just thinking about l- limiting your alcohol consumption. Mm-hmm. Alcohol, whilst is a depressant, it actually disrupts our ability to penetrate deep sleep. Wow. So we're, not actually, we're not actually getting into that deep phase of sleep with alcohol. So it's depriving us of that sort of cleaning ability. And I think if many people had the exposures of a day with deep nourishing sleep, with a night with deep nourishing sleep versus a night with alcohol, I've had a couple of beers, a couple of wines, and now I'm just slipping into sleep just to wind me down because that seems to be what's working for me right now. And compare the two outcomes about how you feel the next morning, nine times out of ten, people are going to say, I feel not as sharp Mm -hmm, after having alcohol the night before. And these things are subtle. And coming full circle to some of the earlier points in our conversation today about triaging, the the brain and body triaging essential, essential things, your brain is not getting cleaned up. It's not getting the things it needs to be doing, and it's going to suffer. Because it's getting more insults, it's triggering off triggering off some inflammatory markers, it's making it less neuroprotective. And right now, we need that. We need mm. that because we're feeling stressed and mm. overwhelmed. And these these tools, these things that I've spoken about are just pathways there. So there are a couple of tips I think that might be helpful, practical things for people to think about. Um how they can engineer better sleep. And there's a lot more tips there, but, you know, that's that's helping people get out of the starting block, so to speak. Yeah, this oh has my been gosh. the most amazing conversation, David. Like I feel really empowered and excited um, to implement more of these things into my life. Like I feel really pumped about it. Yeah, and I guess like just knowing, like having that as motivation, because I think it's very easy to fall back into those habits or to create maybe unhealthy habits. Mm. And now we have a huge motivator, which we don't really forget about, I don't think, because we we want to stay sharp. What about this as a funny experiment, guys? And Mm -hmm. why don't we just put it out there to the community right now listening? Five days, guys. Choose one apply it and tell us what happens to you yes and tell us what happens you know reach out to me at facebook you know you can do that or or you know we could have another conversation in a month's time and see what folk have done but i would say how about that as a wonderful experiment right now we're not doing anything else i love this so much and and then apply it and see what happens in five days just a just a community challenge right there yeah boom i love it so good yes make sure you do check in tell us all about it we are we're intrigued yeah hear all about it so david before we get going as i know like i feel like i could ask you just a bit more so i think we've got to get you back on the show but (laughs) before we get going from today where should everyone go to find more information about everything you do yeah, you can find me at uh, memoryhealthmadeeasy.com. I've got the podcast there. And of course, I've had both yourselves on the show recently. Mm. And we had a wonderful conversation there. So that might be a wonderful bookend to what we've spoken about mm. today. Oh, uh, amazing. Folk can, folk can come across to um, Memory Health Made Easy on Facebook. And we've got a, you know, a growing and active space there. And that's where I'm really trying to help people become memory health warriors, you know, being turning up for themselves, turning up for their loved ones, for their community. So you've got abundant energy, you know, because that's the immediate payoff is that when we start doing this, we have better energy, we've got more clarity and we're going to be fierce for life. You know, that's what a memory health worry is about. And I want to see as many people taking that up as possible. I'm on a mission. My my mission, I'm putting it out there, is that if I get 10,000 people in there, I know that we collectively, individually can influence 100 people. That is 1 million people being memory health warriors. So if you're interested in on the 1 million people mission, come on over and uh, jump on board. Jump on board. Yeah, and make sure you do go and do that, guys. I feel like I, like we're going to go jump in. It's going to be really fun in there as well, and having that support around you will obviously inspire and motivate you to do it even more. And let me just say, David, you have made memory health easy. Like you really have today. You've explained it beautifully. I feel really motivated and empowered. So I am so grateful. We're both so grateful for your time, your knowledge and everything you shared with us today. Uh, I'm 
I'm just in a blessed position that I can have a conversation with you both today. So mm-hmm. thank you very much to to being open and for the folk that are listening for for taking this on board. I can't wait to hear what people do and that's the thing that really presses my buttons is just hearing what people do and how yeah. how it's changed them. That's 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 the biggest smile on my face. Yeah. It's just gold. That's the stuff I run around the house with and say, oh, look at this. <laughs> I love it. Okay, guys, we want to make David run around the house. Yeah, okay, we, we want that. that. <laughs> we, want, we want to see that happening, David. But thank you, everyone, for tuning in today for this episode. It has been such a gem-packed full one. I feel I don't even know what I just yeah. said then, but it was it was amazing. Amazing. So thank you again, David, and we'll catch everyone super soon. Bye. Bye. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.